Man, how about that new song? Let's give it up for David and the band. That, that song, man, that song hit me, bro. It was like, I am washed by the blood of the lamb. Like, that is a powerful statement. And uh, we're going to actually be talking about the implications of that a little bit tonight. And so I just want to open us up in prayer. We're doing in a new series called Real. It's going through 1 John, and it's going to be just looking at little chunks at a time for several weeks. And so just join me in prayer, and then we're going to jump into what this passage has to say to our lives. God, thank you so much. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for, for his blood that was shed for us. Lord, I pray that we would um, reflect on that and worship you for doing that and that your spirit would guide this whole time tonight and that you would glorify yourself. You would, you would motivate us to live for you in that reality. In Jesus' name, amen. So you all have a handout, and we're going to be walk, walking through that handout. And so the first verse on your handout is this First John 2.14. It says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This passage I memorized years ago, and it's been so meaningful to me because it's about how I am an overcomer in Christ. I want you to underline a phrase in that passage is, you are strong. Notice it doesn't say, be strong. It says, you are strong. And he's saying that to a whole church of young men, young women, and he's saying, you are strong. If you are in Christ... You have all the strength you ever need. And then Satan, it says, you have overcome the evil one. So I wonder why he wrote this to young people. Young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. I think Satan, the enemy of God, tries to take out young people. He tries to, and he knows if he can get you sinning, he can get you distracted, he can get you messed up spiritually, you can waste the rest of your life. Because, and I, so I know, being at Chico State, being at Butte College, you guys are on the front lines of this spiritual battle. Um, I was re recently watching a little message, uh, a little, not a message, <laughs> um, a fight by Pac-Man. Anyone know who that is? Uh, boxer, pa Paquito, Pacquiao, Pacquiao. And um, Paquito, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, but he, he had these sick combos. It was, like, ridiculous. Just he would come in and hit the guy, like, five times, and it was just like, boop, 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 boop. And, and I think that's actually what Satan sometimes does to us. It, you ever had one of those days where your boyfriend was grumpy and your car broke down and you, you're just feeling tempted and you're just like, Satan is just after you. And I think Satan does that. He has sick combos. And he just, he, he tries to bring us down. And I don't know about you, there's just some days I don't feel like a Christian, okay? And I've known God for a long time. And I just, I am tempted. I am not walking in the fullness of God and, and the Spirit. And I need a passage like this in my life. I need to be reminded that because of what Jesus did, I am an overcomer. You have overcome I wish there was a way I could tell you you could avoid those days. But I actually believe the more you follow God, the more you actually try to advance God's mission, you are actually, when you share the gospel, when you live for God, you become, you're on the front lines. And when you advance against the gates of hell, 
Don't be surprised when all hell breaks loose. So the more that you serve God, the more Satan is going to attack. But that's not something to be afraid of because in Christ, we are overcomers. We can be victorious. We are victorious, not just can be, because of what Jesus did on the cross. Underline the phrase, you have overcome the evil one. You have. It's not you should. And so why do I say that? And it's, it goes back to that song, you have been washed. How are we overcomers? How have we defeated the evil one? It's because Jesus died. Jesus spilt his blood. Jesus took the penalty that we deserved. And then he rose from the dead. And we get to be, when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, it's over. Game over. Like, I have won. I am victorious. And so Jesus, once and for all, defeated Satan when he rose from the dead. When he died on the cross, by his blood, we are victorious. So Satan is a loser. Satan is losing, and he is waging guerrilla warfare. Everything he does is like after the, the war is already over, he's just trying to mess with people as much as he can. And the Lord is allowing that. I don't understand all that. But he is allowing the enemy to continue to attack. But the truth is, we are overcomers in Christ. And so we don't need to be intimidated by Satan. We need to pursue Christ. And I want this to be true of my life. There was a missionary named C.T. Studd. He said this, my prayer when I die is all of hell rejoices that I am out of the fight. I love that. I want, I want to just live this kind of life that just punches Satan in the face. You know, I, I want to live the kind of life that is an overcomer. And it's not, it's, you are an overcomer. You are in Christ. You have more than enough power and strength to face any temptation, any battle that comes your way. It's just you need to live into it. You need to allow Christ to live through you. If you're a follower of Christ, you fight from victory, not for victory. If you're a follower of Christ, you fight from victory, not for victory. You are a winner. You are, God is for you. If you are a follower of Christ, God is for you. He is with you. And he wants you to stop getting your butt kicked by Satan. Stop getting your butt kicked by sin. He wants you to stand up and to exercise the authority that you have in the name of Jesus. If you're in Christ, you can just tell Satan to leave, and he will. You can tell the temptation to leave, and it will. You can walk, you can do things and, and fight the battle spiritually that you need to with all of the power of Christ. And you don't even need to worry about mustering it up, because it's all there. It's every, all the power you'll ever need is in Christ, and he is in you. Romans 8, 31 and 32 what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So it's about Jesus. I, I saw this uh, video of this, um, this grizzly bear chasing um, a person. Well, um, chasing a person. And uh, no, never mind. I butchered that. But basically, it was this idea of, um, oh, yeah, okay, I, I got it, I got it back. Okay, we're going to watch, we're going to go to the movie Beethoven, okay? I wasn't planning to share this, okay? Anyone seen the movie Beethoven with the dog? Okay, and so the, the young guy bows up to the bullies, and all of a sudden, he's like, all the, he's getting bullied all the time, he's a scrawny little guy, and then the big Beethoven got, dog comes behind, 
and the bullies run. And he, then the little, the little scrawny guy looks at himself and he's like, yeah. <laughs> That's the picture of us in Christ. Christ is the looming figure behind us. And he is the victor, victor over Satan, over the enemy. And so the reason I butchered that illustration, because I wasn't planning on saying it, okay? And so, but you can know that Jesus is the overcomer. He is the victor. He is victorious. And if you're on his side, you can be victorious also. Romans 8, 37, know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So when you are struggling with temptation, shame, spiritual warfare, I encourage you to memorize Romans 8. Memorize this passage in 1 John 2, 14, and quote that. Quote that you are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. You can be victorious in Christ. And the next thing I see in this passage is you can't love God and love the world at the same time. You just can't. You can't love God and love the world at the same time. To live a real faith, an authentic faith, you have to choose one or the other. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So it's that simple. You have a choice. You live for God or you live for the world. It's I actually, when I read this passage, the first few times I read this passage, I was like, settle down, John. Like, okay, there, it's, it seems a little extreme, but I think he, he's making this stark contrast because you, you have to choose. You cannot live for the world and God at the same time. You cannot, and what does it mean by love? It means your supreme affection, your, the thing that you long for most. And so, not that things of the world aren't necessarily bad, but when you make a good thing a God thing, that becomes a bad thing, okay? (laughs) When you make a good thing a God thing, that becomes a bad thing. And what we do, all of us do it all the time, is we make something that's maybe good in and of itself into an idol in our life. We put that above God in our life. Maybe it's food, even. Maybe it's sex, of course. That's a huge one. Maybe it's success, being successful, getting good grades. Maybe, it, even for me, a temptation is ministry, doing, speaking, writing books, whatever it is. Like, I, I'm tempted to put something above God. And, and when we do that, that just undercuts your entire spiritual life. Um, recently, I've, I've overcome, like, an addiction to caffeine, okay? It sounds kind of lame, of course, haha, caffeine. You know, it doesn't sound like that's a big deal. But for me... That was something I had to overcome, and I had to fight, and I, it was kind of had this control of me throughout the day, and I had, to, I had to get my coffee, and I had to get my monster ears, and, you know, it was just kind of like, it wasn't healthy, and so I had to give that up, and so in the sense, when I was, like, compromising in that tiny, seemingly tiny, tiny area, I was making that caffeine an idol, okay? And so I'm not saying don't drink coffee and, you know, don't, don't hear me say that because I'm still going to drink coffee. But it was just, it had a, a grip on me and I, I put it in a place that was higher than it needed to be. And so that's just been an amazing, even just a little thing, example of the kind of thing that we're constantly fighting because we live in the world, right? 
Amen? Okay? We live in the world. There's temptation all around us. There's these things that are yelling and screaming for our attention. There's success. There's parents' expectations. There's cute guys and cute girls all around, everywhere you look. And there's just all sorts of, boy, boy temptation, man. Okay? It's everywhere. Um, but the thing about temptation is not everything in the world is sinful. Don't hear me say that. But it's all temporary. I noticed the end of that passage, it says, live forever. Who does the will of God lives forever? This world is temporary, and the pleasures and the joys that we live for in the next life is just going to blow it out of the water. James 4, 13 through 14 says, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. So this is all about gaining success and notoriety. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That is a haunting passage. I want you to underline the phrase, what is your life? Whew, I want that to ring in your, hand, your head. What is your life? What is your life? And it says, you are a mist. So go outside tonight and breathe once. If it's cold enough, you'll see your breath. And I think it is, okay? You'll see your breath. The amount of time that your breath evaporates, that's how fast your life goes. It's just like that. It's just like a snap of the fingers. It, this life is so short compared to eternity. Imagine I put a dot on this, on the, I put a dot right here on this banner, and I, I put, just put one little dot right on the white part of the sea. And I drew, I took another a Sharpie, and I drew another line, giant Sharpie, and I just whipped it around the whole world, okay? And just somehow, I was just able to make a, a line all around the whole world, and I brought it back. That dot is your life, and eternity is the line. Forever and ever, the choices you make in this dot will forever in, determine how you live the line. Forever and ever. Millions of years the Bible says you're gonna, you are an eternal soul, and you are going to spend millions and millions and millions and millions of years in one of two places, either heaven or hell. And the choices you make in this life determine, if you are a Christian, determine the rewards you get in the next. I love this quote, this passage, this section of amazing grace um, I love the song Amazing Grace, but one of my favorite lines is, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. We're going to be there forever, praising God, loving God. It's going to be the best. It's going to be amazing. So what is your life? It's a, it's a mist. What are you using your one breath for? You have one breath to live this life and make it to proclaim Jesus. Make your one breath to say, Jesus, I want to follow Jesus. But a lot of people live their one breath for self, for sex, for fulfillment, for whatever this, this, this idol is, this, this thing in their life. Or a lot of people, it's pleasures, it's experiences. I want to go to Europe, and I want to go to here, and they have this bucket list. And let me just tell you, this is going to sound pretty harsh, but your, your bucket list is overrated, okay? Your bucket list is overrated because the new heavens and the new earth is going to far exceed 
anything you could put on your bucket list. Like, I want to go to New Zealand. That's on my bucket list, okay? I would love to go to New Zealand. I was messaging a guy from Australia, which is kind of New Zealand-y, right? It's like around there. Um, I want to go both. But So I invited myself to speak at his conference, okay? I was like, bro, if you need someone to go speak, like, give me a call. And he's like, uh, we can't pay for that, <laughs> you know? But if I never get to go to Australia or New Zealand, I'll be okay. If I don't get to see the little hobbit hole, okay, I, I, I'll be fine. Because the new heavens and the new earth is going to have way more epic views. It's, I'm going to be actually be able to surf the waves that I think I can surf, okay? Right now I can surf waves like this big, but in heaven I'm going to be getting pitted every day, okay? So pitted. <laughs> Your bucket list is overrated. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world could satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. All of us have that longing for more, and that is healthy, that is good. We want more, and that's, that more will come. If you are in Christ, there is so much more that you will experience. And I love to talk to Evelyn and Owen about heaven. Evelyn's favorite topic is heaven. And so she, she talks about it, and she asked me, she said the other day, Daddy, will unicorns be in heaven? And I'm like, for you, I think so. Daddy, God will, God will pull some strings. I, I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> maybe. She's like, you know what I'm going to do in heaven? I'm going to sit in God's lap, and he's going to give me candy. <laughs> and I'm like, sounds good to me. <laughs> she, she was like, that's the best part, you know? And then this is years ago when Owen was four years old. We were in Monterey, and we were just having a father-son moment. We were hunting crabs in the cracks and crevices at Monterey, and we just had this amazing time. It was a sunset, and then we were driving home. And in the, he was sitting in the back, and he said, Dada, in heaven, in heaven are we going to go hunt crab and do adventures every day? And I'm like, I honestly don't know. It sounds fun. I'll do it if we can. And then he's like, a few moments later, he's like, Dada? In heaven, can we eat whatever we want and it be healthy? And I was like, I know that's for sure, okay? <laughs> and then he was like, Dada, is there treasure in heaven? Because he was really into pirates and stuff. And I was like, yeah, actually, the Bible says that the streets are paved with gold. And then a few moments later, he said, he said Dada, you know what the greatest treasure in heaven is? And I said, what, son? He said, Jesus. Jesus is the greatest treasure in heaven. And I'm like, that's right. That's my boy, you know. And um, he knows that it's wise to look for heaven, look towards being face-to-face -face with Jesus. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So we should live with this urgency of eternity. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. If you really believe the gospel, you really believe the Bible, then the only logical explanation is to live all out for God's kingdom, to help as many people as possible experience this grace and this love from God. So we don't need to get distracted because this world is not our home. We're just passing through. This world, we don't need to live for this world. We're living for the next. This is just a warm-up lap for the real race. This is, this is the beginning, and this is something we get to invest. What we do can invest in what will matter a million years from now. Jesus said, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I, I heard this illustration about, imagine you were moving across the country, you had $50,000 saved up for a down payment. You just sold your other house. And imagine having $50,000 and you're going to go buy another home. You're going to some great place like Texas or something, okay? And you're going there and you, you, you're on your way. You're halfway there and you're living on a prayer and you're just halfway there. And you come across a Motel 6, and you're like, oh, okay, let's get in the Motel 6, $30 a night. It's, it's kind of got some rips on the wallpaper and stuff, but you're like, whatever. And then you go in here, and you're like, well, you know what? We need to fix, we need to fix this Motel 6 up. So let's go get some new flooring. This place needs some flooring. So let's go to Home Depot, and I'm, you lay flooring, like, all day, okay? You put some new, and you get, like, uh, the most expensive flat screen, like a $10,000 flat screen. You're like, this TV doesn't cut it. And you, like, pimp out that Motel 6 for one night, okay? And you live, like, the best night in the Motel 6 that you ever had, (laughs) okay? That's what a lot of people do when they live for this life and they don't invest in eternity. They spend all their time focusing on getting theirs in this life, and they don't think about what's next. They don't think about living for something that's going to matter forever, Like, think about that. That's just mind-blowing. What we do now invests and makes a difference in our rewards in heaven in eternity. That is a motivating thing for me. And it also makes a difference in the lives of others, other people, and their their chance to hear the gospel. And and so we get this, I don't know about you, I want to live the kind of life that is just sowing broadly, just reckless in how I love people and how I serve and how I pour my life out to help other people. And when I want to just, at the end of my life, like Apostle Paul, he said, I, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. This life is meant to be invested. It's not meant to be spent. Because you can spend, you can waste your life on just yourself and money and possessions and success and being respectable and being accepted by the world. And at the end of your life, you've done nothing. And I want to live the life that's just like helping as many people as possible. John Wesley said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Ultimately, following God, knowing God, investing in something that matters. There's a joy that you get when you invest in God's kingdom, advancing God's kingdom, that you don't get anywhere else. So when you pour your life out, God pours his spirit in, and he gives you joy and peace and the perspective you need to long for heaven. I'm the happiest person in the world, I think, (laughs) okay, because I'm just letting God use my life. And it's It's amazing. I want that for every one of you. Just like being in this place of just sacrifice and selfishness. And I'm not selflessness. I'm not perfect, okay? And I do have days of struggle. But there's a joy there. And then, you know what's funny about that? When you pour out your life for the kingdom, when you let go of this world, you throw it all away and you pursue God and his kingdom, like you get everything else also. 
Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God's blessing will come unto your life, but that won't even be the best thing about your life. God's blessing, it's not, God's blessing is not about, like, the, the blessing. It's about getting to know the blesser. It's not about the gift. It's about the giver. It's about getting to know God and enjoying him more. The blessings of the Lord enriches, and he adds no sorrow, sorrow to it. I love that proverb. So the blessing of God will come in your life, but that's not the reason we follow God. The reason we follow God is because God is God, and he is enough. He is worthy. And then he blesses our life, and we get to enjoy things like, um, this is kind of crazy. I got invited to a conference, to speak at a conference this weekend in Hawaii, actually. And I really prayed about it for like one minute, and I said yes, okay? <laughs> and... Um, my wife, she has a bad back, and we, it, ever since we had Owen eight years ago, she hasn't been out of the state. And so I'm taking her and the kids to Hawaii, and we're going to have a great time. We're going to enjoy that. Now, does that go against everything I just said in the message? No. It's because God, we, we've put Christ first, and when you have blessings in your life, you can enjoy that without guilt, without shame. And you actually, if you enjoy God's blessings correctly, that can lead you to worship God more for what he's given. So you can, you can view a sunset to the glory of God. Whenever I see my wife in the morning, I just say, hallelujah, praise God, okay? And, and every day, I, I get to enjoy the blessings of God. And it is, it's a good thing. So I don't want you to hear, it's all bad, money's bad. You know, it's all, I, I want you to hear, like, Jesus is best. Jesus is worthy. And then when you put Jesus in his proper place, you're able to enjoy everything else as a worship and a reflection of his goodness in your life. The ultimate purpose of life is to show that Jesus is more precious than life. So it's just like the perfect package deal. You get Jesus, and that's, all, that's enough, okay? But a lot of times you also get earthly blessings and other blessings, and you will, if you choose Jesus above all, you will get eternal blessings, and that will just continue to forever. You'll be so glad that you invested in this life. Um, John Piper, is another, he gave a message um, years ago at the very first Passion Conference. You might have heard pa about Passion, the band, the, the, the worship band. But the first Passion Conference, he gave this really stirring message. So we're going to watch like uh, seven minutes of it. And it's like really pixelated, and it was like in the 90s. And so there was like, you'll notice it's kind of 90s-y. Uh, but let's check it out. What he says is so profound. So I want you to pay attention and follow along with what he says. You don't have to know a lot of things in order to make a huge difference for the Lord in the world. But you do need to know a few things that are great and be willing to live for them and die for them. People that make a difference in the world are not people who have mastered a lot of things. They are people who have been mastered by a very few things that are very, very great. If you want your life to count you don't have to have a high IQ and you don't have to have a high EQ. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have good looks. You don't have to be 
from a good family or from a good school. You just have to know a few basic, simple, glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them. Which is why anybody in this crowd can make a worldwide difference. Because it isn't you. It's what you're gripped with. But one of the really sad things about this moment right now is that there are hundreds of you in this crowd who do not want your life to make a difference. All you want is to be liked. Maybe finish school, get a good job, find a husband or a wife, a nice house, a nice car, long weekends, good vacations, grow old healthy, have a fun retirement, die easy, no hell, and that's all you want. You don't give a rip whether your life counts on this earth for eternity. That's a tragedy in the making. That is a tragedy in the making. About three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and then in retirement, partnering up with Ruby, also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon. And the brakes give way, over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And I ask my people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost, a, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places and 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico fly into eternity with a death in a moment is this a tragedy I asked it is not a tragedy I'll read you what a tragedy is. 
I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. You don't read Reader's Digest, I know that. But there is a generation who does. This is a tragedy. Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early, February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler play softball and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream. A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells. As the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. God, look at my boat. God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Join me in praying. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the things we got to discuss. And some of them are so big, so heavy, Lord, that um, it's just hard to even describe how important these things are. And, and I pray that we would walk away with just a picture of how good you are and how worthy you are and how um, powerful you are and how we can invest our lives in following you and knowing you and loving you. And I pray that every person in here would walk in victory over Satan, over temptation, and every person in here would choose to invest their life in eternity and things that are going to matter millions and millions of years from now. And that we would live different from the world. We would, we would be real Christians, people that really follow you, that really know you, that live with this reckless abandon, and that we wouldn't waste our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to encourage you to think about what is your next step? What was your top takeaway?